Thank you so much. Can I have a seat? That'd be wonderful. Let's welcome you all here. I know it's sprinkling outside is what I hear. Uh, I know that that's a, something to applaud about, right? Uh, so I, I just want to give another thank you to the 400 volunteers who made last night possible. So let's just give a big shout out. 400 people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody on Saturday and I said, okay, look, you know, it's Halloween, Fall Family Festival, we've been collecting all this candy, and I've been doing such a great job. You know, we had 1,500 pounds of candy here, and so the temptation was high, okay? <laughs> and, and I made it to Saturday, and I hadn't touched a piece, okay? So Saturday, and I made the mistake of telling someone that, and she said, you know what? You can splurge for three hours this afternoon, it won't hurt a thing, okay? She was wrong. You know, I'm all groggy this morning, okay? <laughs> Of course, I had some brownies, too, and other stuff like that. It uh, doesn't help. So anyway, I'm just so glad that you're here. Thanks a lot for participating last night, inviting your friends and coming. And I uh, just had so many folks, you know, everybody of us that were wearing one of those badges had staff, you know, that someone would just walk up and just say thank you. Just thank you. Just thank you. And that you would offer something like this for our community. And that's what it really is. It's a gift to our community that we do this. And so we just gear up for next year and just want to... Uh, when we, you know, now that we did indoor-outdoor, for those of you who don't know, it was just, oh, it was, you could breathe, it was, there was movement, people could talk, and we had music all around, and it was just a great time. So, once again, just thank you for all your work that you did. Uh, I really do appreciate it. So, here we are, we're going to start this series today. Uh, I'm going to encourage you first to grab your message notes out of your program. It's going to help you. You're going to want to take some notes today. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we'll be looking at some verses there as well. Uh, but it, you know, it's really going to be helpful today to look at this uh, and to follow along. Now, I was really struggling about a series called Be Ordinary. That's not the message of our culture. It's not the message of the church, typically. And so uh, I really, you know, just have been doing a lot of praying about this, and uh, I'm going to share with some influences as to why I chose to do this, and uh, and how we're going to package this so that we can all get a better understanding in it. But let's just face it. No one wants to be ordinary. No one. You won't see a bumper sticker that says, my child is an ordinary student at Union Hill School. <laughs> you just won't see it. Okay? No one wants to be an ordinary person in an ordinary family, in an ordinary house, in an ordinary neighborhood, going to an ordinary church, living in an ordinary country. We don't want that. Just look around. You see that you'll find and discover inside of you and as you look around a culture that's obsessed with the next big thing, the next tennis shoe that comes out, the next mobile device, the new model year of car or truck, whichever one that you would prefer the next designer fashion statements, the newest televisions that now go beyond real color uh, and have clarity. Everything has to be bigger and more radical than everything else that preceded it, that went before. See, we have this expectation that the only meaningful experiences are those that are radical, extraordinary, or superb. So it's hard for us to see value in the idea that ordinary 
may just be the best way to live because no one wants to admit that they're ordinary. Nobody. See, ordinary is the most common of life's conditions, but it's also one of the most despised. We just don't like ordinary. Instead, we want to be radical. And this is true. I'll just say it's true inside the church as well as outside the church. And I just want to say, here's what I discovered. 24 years of being your pastor. Radical is not sustainable. Radical is just not sustainable. And that's why the constant push, the constant drive for the next big thing, to take the next hill to leave it all out on the field, to sacrifice it all, to lay it all in the line. That kind of constant hype leaves us empty, dissatisfied, and disillusioned because we realize that the hype just didn't live up to the reality that we were experiencing. See, folks, most of life is just simply a step-by-step, everyday existence in ordinary. That's most of life. And so I want to ask a question today. I'm asking myself, and I'm going to ask you to wrestle with this question with me as we go through the series. And the question is this, how can we do ordinary? How can we do ordinary? And I believe that if you're willing to, with me, to walk through this journey, if you're willing to embrace what I'm going to lay out in this series called Be Ordinary, that I believe that we could actually live a life that is full, meaningful, just as God designed, and without all the hype. So I'm going to set it up today. That's what this is all about. I'm going to set it up today. And uh, one of the things that got me thinking about this, it was a book I picked up and was just intrigued by the title. It was called Ordinary. It's by a man named Michael Horton. And his subtitle is this, Sustainable Faith in a Radical and Restless World. I highly recommend that you might find a copy of this somewhere and read it and pick it up. And another book I'm going to use that helped me to think about this is called Ordinary Again. And his subtitle is How to Turn the World Upside Down. Tony Morita wrote this one. So the, both of these books kind of helped me get started in my thinking. And this is months ago. Uh, in fact, I gave our student ministries pastor the book Ordinary and said, please read this because we want to be able to help our students who are our future to fight through this always needing the next big thing or hype. So I'm uh, just going to read some quotes, okay? These are current Quotes from culture about ordinary. Brene Brown. Many of you have heard of Brene Brown. We used uh, all, some of her writing as we were talking about empathy in our relationship series last spring. Uh, and she says this. When I look at narcissism through the vulnerability lens, I see the shame-based fear of ordinary. Do you see why we're afraid of ordinary? It's shame-based. Shame-based. I see the fear of never feeling extraordinary enough to be noticed, to be lovable, to belong, or to cultivate a sense of purpose. See, the overwhelming message in our culture is that an ordinary life is a meaningless life. Unless you are grabbing lots of attention and you have lots of Twitter followers or Facebook friends who know everything you do, 
Well, you're just not ordinary. I mean, you're just ordinary, unless you have that. See, there's a great deal of fear inside people that believes unless things are spectacular and super marvelous, that somehow we're falling short of our identity and our destiny as a human being. Joe Queen, and he wrote this. He's writing a book about what he's seen in culture, specifically at baby boomers, but he went on to say it's not just baby boomers, it's the next generation X and the millennials. All three deal with the same issue. And he says this, we have an inability to accept the ordinary. Every experience must be watershed, every meal extraordinary, every friendship apocal, every concert superb, every sunset meta-celestial. This has essentially ruined everything for everybody because nothing can ever be what it was in the first place, ordinary. Nothing can ever be. He's saying we've taken the normal, ordinary moments in life and we transformed them into events that require enormous amounts of reflection, resourcing, energy in order to carry them out as we try to take ordinary occurrences and make them appear spectacular. We do that. Here's another quote. I know Rod, I don't know how to say his last name, Dreher. Uh, and he says this He says, Everydayness is my problem. It's easy to think about what you would do in wartime, or if a hurricane blows through, or if you spend a month in Paris, or if your guy wins the election, or if you won the lottery, or bought that thing you really wanted. It's a lot more difficult to figure out how you're going to get through today without despair, right? So we sing a song around here called Oceans, and uh, it says when oceans rise, you know? And so it's talking about those times when it's coming at you in a big wave, in a big way. And I love that song. And I love the power in it. I love what the picture that it gives. But most of us aren't dealing with oceans rising, we're dealing with the laundry rising. <laughs> and how do we live in that ordinary life in those ordinary ways? Here's another quote. It won't be on your screens, but I found it late yesterday, and I just thought it helped as well, because this whole idea of narcissism being the fuel for this striving for extraordinary, Bill Gabler says this. The book is called Life as a Movie Starring Everyone. And he talks about how so much of the entertainment and social media society has encouraged us to think that each and every one of us is the star of our own show. And that's the way we are anyway, he says. But the way that it has lived out today is that everyone's starring in their, everyone is starring in their own life movie. And he goes on to say that means everything and everyone else is a prop or supporting actor in our life movie as we're depicting it on social media or other ways that we're talking about our life movie, our life story. So the question eats at my soul and uh, I've really struggled with uh, for a long time, but even more I say so as I go through the wiser seasons of life. Is it okay to be ordinary? Is it okay? Am I able to be all I can be can I make the, diff the biggest difference I can make with this one and only life I get if I just make it my goal to pursue ordinary? See, other questions that come to mind are this. Am I going to 
Am I going to be able to fulfill my identity and destiny by pursuing the path to ordinary? Is the ordinary spiritual life just as good as one with miraculous spiritual experiences? Or ordinary relationships just as good as intense emotional relationships? Or ordinary ways of doing things because we're staying tethered to history and tradition just as good as the new, extraordinary, and revolutionary new methods? Or ordinary moments just as important as dramatic decisions and enormous events? Is an ordinary church just as important as a movement or a revolution? In order to say with confidence, and I would add with hope, you have to have an understanding of what God is doing in your ordinary life. That he is a good father with your best intended by him. He's a good father. Because see, if you don't have this perspective, you will be tempted to be ashamed of ordinary, which means that you will be ashamed of most of your life, most of your existence, and you will live dissatisfied and guilty because you never could attain super status. See, a problem that is uh, a word... I ran across this word this week. I loved it, so we're going to use it today. It, right there is ennui. Ennui. And it describes the condition of our age. And here it is. A feeling of listless, listlessness and dissatisfaction. Too many S's for me. And then I'm going to add restlessness. So this was the dictionary definition. I'm adding restlessness to the definition. Arising from a lack of occupation or excitement, and the number one cause of ennui is the feeling of being ordinary. And here's the dictionary definition of ordinary. With no special or distinctive features, normal, usual, tradition, and I said tradition, some said traditional, but I like the idea of tradition because it means being tied to something in the past. Every day, regular, or routine. So what I want to do is I just want to clear up what we're talking about when I'm talking about being ordinary, okay? So I'm going to tell you what ordinary is not, and I'm going to tell you what ordinary is. So we want to look at these, and three for each, okay? First, ordinary is not a call to mediocrity. It's not a call to mediocrity. You know, we, we have enough slackers in the world. This is not a call to you know, just go home and sit on the couch all the time and call that ordinary. Actually, we're called to excellence. Did you know that? Excellence and ordinary are equal. In fact, if you ask the best athletes or musicians or surgeons or bricklayers or accountants or teachers how they got to be so good at what they do, they will tell you it was through the day after day after day after day of living and being faithful in ordinary life that they got where they are. They attained their skill. See, the problem, though, is when we hear the word ordinary, we immediately think of mediocrity, and so we want to push it away. But think about this. Rosa Parks didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I'm bored with my life. I want to do something big. So I'm going to go out today and establish myself as the first lady of the civil rights movement. She didn't do that. She simply acted with integrity 
in an ordinary moment of life when it came, and on an ordinary day, she responded, and she refused to sit at the back of the bus. She wasn't choosing to be extraordinary. She was ordinary. Second, ordinary is not a call to boredom. Some of you are already relieved now. It's not a call to boredom. How many times do you hear that phrase, I'm bored, especially of teenagers? We hear it a lot, right? But it's not a call to boredom. See, so many people are already so bored with their lives when they think of the concept of ordinary, they cannot even face it because they think it would mean to be like super bored. You know, like the ascetics, and you go away from all of it, you know, put away everything away from you, and you just isolate yourself in some way. So therefore, they think nothing in their lives can be normal or routine, and they're constantly striving to overcome this boredom that they feel on the inside that they feel with life. And then number three, it's not a call to the next big thing. I had to really struggle with this one. When I was working with our team and we were working on the, you know, the image for this, the branding for the series, and then the taglines and then the verbiage that was on your mailer that you received and the, on the invitation that you have. Uh, as I was working on this text for this, uh, I remember sending uh, my best version off uh, to the team to say, what do you think about this text for this? And I ended my, my whole paragraph with this idea that ordinary is the new radical. And I realized, as I was chided, <laughs> that I was about to add to the problem. No, this is not a call to the next big thing. It's just not. Okay, so we can get that straight. So just think about this. In my studies this week, I ran across the picture of the Cologne Cathedral in Germany. It's Germany's most visited historical site. There's a picture of it. Uh, at Did you know that 20,000 people per day visit this site? 20,000 per day. Now, when you think about it, construction on this cathedral began in 1248. It's a long time ago, right? 1248. It was halted in 1473. So that's 225 years uh, that it was been constructed and construction was halted in 1473, and it sat like it was until the mid-1800s, and then construction was started again. It was finished in 1880. So really, you you have about six centuries from start to finish uh, for this cathedral. This is an example of how ordinary can actually lead to something, and I'm going to use the word, extraordinary. Extraordinary. See, for the men who labored for those hundreds of years on the cathedral, life was ordinary. Get up, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Get up, have breakfast, go to work, come home, eat dinner, go to bed. Day after day after day of ordinary. And then all of them would eventually die. They'd die. And another group would take their place, and they would get into the same ordinary routine. Nothing spectacular for any of them, but the contribution that they left is unprecedented in what they did. So now let's talk about what ordinary is, okay? Ordinary, first of all, is a call to contentment. It's a call to contentment. The cure to the narcissism and restlessness of our age 
is contentment. But contentment is not something that we can generate from within. We just can't do it. Contentment has to have an object. Uh, There must be something in our lives that is so satisfying to us that we can actually know contentment. And that's what we're going to focus on this series. The one thing that we can focus on in our lives that would be so satisfying that we could actually know contentment. Second, ordinary is a call to sustainability. Sustainability. We've become increasingly aware, right, as a society, that we just can't keep consuming our natural resources at the pace we have without... Uh, something drastic happening you know, that would be detrimental to all of us, but we can't keep consuming our natural resources without restraint or they will give out. There's a limit. And so we must learn to live in a way that's sustainable. And so just as that's true globally, it's true personally for each and every one of us as well. So here's a reality check. God is the one who does extraordinary things through ordinary means. God doesn't need our next big thing. He doesn't. He doesn't need our next big thing. Because, see, God has already accomplished the greatest thing of all. He gave Jesus Christ that mankind could be redeemed and live with him forever in heaven. The greatest accomplishment of all. And then he said, he's promised, I will be the one who builds my church. So what we can do is we can relax and we can trust him and we can live in ordinary grace. Ordinary grace. And then third, ordinary is a call to love. To love and be loved. It's called to love. See, we're called to love and we engage in ordinary acts. Those ordinary acts will then lead us on the pathway to contentment and peace. And as we know contentment and peace, then we're more likely to love well and to do it as God calls us to do it. And this calling to love every day right where God has placed us, it is rich and it is rewarding. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make the case over the next three weeks that we can make a wonderful impact in our world. We'll choose to be simply ordinary followers of Jesus Christ, ordinary followers. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to uh, our history. I'm going to stake this in tradition, tether it to tradition, and I'm going to use three phrases that have been part of our church for decades. And this is what it means for Twin Cities to be an ordinary church. Here's the first phrase. You want to write it down. We're called to love God. We're called to love God. Now, we get this from the first four of the Ten Commandments. The first four of the Ten Commandments draw us vertically to God. So draw us vertically to Him. So this is what it says. And I've paraphr- I didn't paraphrase, but I cut out some of the text so that we could just read the actual commandment as we go through these Ten Commandments we're going to look at. This is the first four, vertically to God. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And then lastly, you must remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
So as God gave the Ten Commandments, and now the vertical portion of the Ten Commandments to Moses, he gave them and said, this is what you will pursue. Pursue me. And then as Moses was leading the people, God spoke to Moses and said, and gave him uh, I, I'm going to say a modified version of those four Ten Commandments, but it really wasn't. It was an expanded version. Uh, and he gave it in the form of what the Jewish people call the Shema. Many of you know that word, the Shema. And I want to talk a little bit about what it was before we actually read it. it was a, Shema was a covenantal phrase, okay? So the idea is covenant here, that they said out loud a minimum of three times a day. Jewish people, minimum three times a day. So here's the, here's the routine. In the evening, which was the start of their day, after dinner, they would say the Shema. In the morning, when they woke up, they would say the Shema. And at least one other time during the day, typically when they left the house, at the door was a mezuzah, which they touched, and then they said the Shema as they walked out the door. And then it says that then they were also to say the Shema, when they walked down the path. So in other words, that would be as they lived their life so that their children would hear over and over and over and over and over again the Shema, these words. The point was that they would be reminded that every part of their being must be focused on God. So here it is, Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Would you just circle the word commands there? It's going to be a key word we're going to see as we go through all the verses today, something about commands. An ordinary life is one that is centered on loving God. Second is this, love people, love people. So now the next six of the Ten Commandments are all about the horizontal relationships we have with others. Four, about my vertical relationship with God. Six now, about my horizontal relationships I have with other people. Exodus 20, the next six commandments. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. So the next six commandments are about my horizontal relationship with others. And then once again, God is speaking to Moses. And as he spoke to Moses, he had him write down in just a section of Leviticus. It's a book many of us can't even get into, let alone through, as we read it. But in a section of Leviticus, God spoke to Moses and had him write these words about horizontal relationship in Exodus I mean, Leviticus 19, he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then notice what he says. You must obey all my decrees. You want to circle that word, decrees, equal with commandments. You must obey them. So what we need to get today is this. Jesus now comes along, and it was Jesus who packaged the Shema, which was the vertical relationship with God, with the words of Moses in Leviticus 19, which is the horizontal relationship with others, he packaged them together in a statement that the author I've been reading calls the Jesus Creed. The Jesus Creed. And his subtitle is Loving God and Loving Others. 
And so what happens is, is that we come to Jesus and he defines it differently and adds this. We just want this next thing is we need to serve our world. He's called us to serve our world. So we love God, we love people, and we serve our world. We dig down into where people are and we serve them. So here's what Jesus did. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment by a person who really wanted to know? What's the greatest commandment? So Jesus now takes the Shema and adds to the Shema this teaching about horizontal relationships from Leviticus 19, and he puts them together. And this is what he says. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. So he says you must love God with everything you have, And then he adds another commandment to the surprise of everyone who's there. And he says the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, no other commandment, circle that, commandment is greater than these. So here's what Jesus did when he made this statement. And this is a struggle in his day, and it's a struggle in our day as well for people to actually by and it's this Jesus was making it clear by this statement that he was God that he was God see not anyone can change the shema right they've been quoting it for thousands of years not anyone can come along and change the shema unless they're actually God only God can change this and so I believe that Jesus was the one of the most ordinary people who ever walks the planet. And he says this. Then Jesus says to everyone, come follow me. Come follow me in, Mark, in Matthew 4.19. And what Scott Manike says, and he says when Jesus gave the command to come follow me, he was basically saying, come live out the great commandment. Come follow me and watch me as I live out the great commandment. And you will go and you will live out the great commandment as well in your life. So here's what I would say is your bottom line at the end. We live an ordinary life by following Jesus. We live an ordinary life when we follow Jesus. And now you're going to see why I had you circle the word commandment and decrees all the way through. Because look at what Jesus said. When you obey my commandments... My commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. And so the invitation is that you and I would walk with Jesus, we would follow him, and as we follow him, he leads us into the way of the great commandment, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So here's the deal. I want to ask this question. What if ordinary wasn't just a condition that creates shame? What if ordinary wasn't just a season to endure? What if ordinary, as defined by Jesus, was the most sustainable, joy-filled, peace-filled way to live? What if we lived life living it through ordinary acts of humble service? What if we lived it by loving our neighbors? What if we lived it by serving our world's needs? That would be an ordinary life. So let's think about how we as ordinary people doing ordinary things 
might actually turn the world upside down. You want to give it a try with me? Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's just whets my appetite. It's such a call in my soul and my spirit to do this. So see, Jesus is the one who came and said, this is the way you would live. And he came from the Father. And what Jesus had done is he had gained the strength of his relationship, the strength, he, uh, the strength of his character, excuse me, from his relationship with God, his Father. And there's a song that we've been wanting to sing to you for a, a long time now, quite some time. And as we are considering this idea of the call into the ordinary life, we thought today would just be a good day for this song just to just kind of resonate through our hearts and our souls and our minds. And it's called The Good, Good Father. As we see God as good, we know that what he wants is our best. Then we could surrender to live an ordinary life following Jesus as our leader. Let's listen to this. Of love. 
God, I thank you for that picture of you being a good father and that you are for us. And that when you made us, you didn't intend us to live our lives in this rat race, in this constant pursuit of more, the next big thing, to just always be striving after the hype. Father, I pray today that this is, an, this is an issue of trust, that you would help us to trust you. You would help us to just step into a relationship where we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be ordinary. Be loved by you, God. just as you made us to be. Lord, I pray that you would give us your courage and your strength to live with this Shema, Jesus Creed, that we would be about loving you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love our neighbors, to love our world serve our world as you did, Jesus. Jesus, we follow you and we'll live by your commands. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.